Hi, I'm Oisa Yu, director of the Fellows Program at New America. This year, we're thrilled to support 10 new Class of 2021 National Fellows as they develop their ambitious projects. Today, I'm joined by Eiling Liu, a Class of 2021 Future Security Fellow. Eiling is writing a book about individuals in China who are navigating the boundaries of the Chinese internet. Her work on Chinese society, technology, and internet culture has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, Harper's Magazine, Foreign Policy, The Economist, and The New Yorker, just to name a few outlets. She's a recipient of the Matthew Power Literary Reporting Award and the Overseas Press Club Foundation Fellowship, a visiting scholar at the New York University, Arthur L. Carter Journalism Institute, and a graduate of Yale University. Yiling, congratulations again on your acceptance this year. Thanks so much, Alista. So to start off, can you just tell us a little bit more about your project and just help frame that for us? Sure. Yeah, so I am writing a book of narrative nonfiction, as you mentioned, about individuals in China who are pushing for change within the bounds of the Chinese internet. And to give a little bit of context on what that change looks like and you know what type of society they're growing up in, you know, in the last few decades, we've watched, I've watched China become a society of pretty jarring contradictions. On one hand, China has, you know, gone through huge technological change and economic opening. But on the other hand, it is bound by what could be said now as tightening political control and censorship. And the place that this has taken place most obviously is online. You know, the internet has become both this kind of force of liberation and control. And so as a writer, I'm very much interested in following the people who are navigating that space of contradictions. You know, how are they walking the line of confrontation and compromise to push for openness and challenge the status quo? And so much has been written about the Chinese state. And so I'm curious about your own personal connection to the story. So can you tell us more about how you feel you're uniquely situated to tell this story, but also what you're hoping to gain from this experience of writing this book? Well, I think one thing that is distinct about my experience is that I was born and raised in Hong Kong in, you know, a quote unquote, semi-autonomous bicultural city right at the doorstep of mainland China. And so Hong Kong is kind of, you know, on the fault lines of two political systems, two digital ecosystems. And growing up there, I've always been able to observe developments in China from, you know, position of both an insider and an outsider, a a straddler of sorts. You know, I'm emotionally invested in the world that I'm observing, but also kind of capable of stepping back with a more detached analytical eye. And you know, so as an individual, what I'm hoping to gain from my experience writing this book is to weave together the two, to kind of really get at the on-the-ground human story, but weave that with you know, big-picture analysis and perhaps tell a story that's a bit messier, a bit richer, and more plural than what we have seen so far. In your application, you said that you were 15 when you first experienced Chinese censorship. So can you tell me a little bit more about that and how your experience compares to others as well? Yeah, so in high school, I was working as an intern at a state-run newspaper in China. And I would find every so often, you know, a sentence would be taken out of an article that I'd written, usually because it's too sensitive to print. 
very you know innocuous articles. I was writing like, for example, I was writing a travelogue on Eastern Europe, and I think there was one line that described a square in Prague where thousands of Czech youth shook their keys in celebration of the toppling of the regime. And, you know, that sentence was just like kind of quietly plucked out. And at the time I was frustrated and I was perplexed. I, you know, on one hand I was living in Beijing, the city that was so dynamic and full of energy and change, but on the other hand, subject to pretty rigid censorship. And, you know, this, I think that this experience is not unique. It's pretty standard, you know, not so much like having your words plucked out by the censor, but just coming up against any type of censorship being not being able to access a website that you want to access, not being able to buy a book that you want to buy. And so, you know, I, I think it's something that every Chinese individual will have to encounter at some point in their life, if not every day in their life. For me, that first brush with the censor's pen, you know, like seeing it drawn over my work made me think, okay, you know, what what are you going to do next? And for me, it sparked in a question and an investigation that I would then really dedicate the next decade of my personal and intellectual life seeking answers to, which is, you know, what does it mean to live and write in truth and creativity when faced with the Great Firewall? So it's a great segue to my next question. What is a Great Firewall? And can you explain its significance in Chinese society as um, the role that you hope it'll play within the narrative you plan to write? The Great Firewall actually was a term kind of coined back in 1997 in a Wired article. And from a very technical sense, it, liter- it means the literal firewall that blocks Chinese internet users from using specific websites. So Facebook, Twitter, Google. But more broadly, it refers to, you know, the entire system of censorship. So the propaganda departments that dictate, you know, what TV shows are okay and what's not, the homegrown censorship departments that private companies have and self-regulate and take down content that they think is too sensitive. And because it's kind of so vague and so opaque, the system, to me, the Great Firewall also refers to any kind of self-imposed self-censorship that people are carrying out all the time. And when I talk about the Great Firewall, you know, for the book, I think I'm referring not just to like a banned list of IP addresses, but the entire system that people have internalized and absorbed into their everyday life. And so when you approach the narrative of this book, you're hoping really to have it be narrative driven by the stories of individuals. And so can you tell us more about the form and structure you hope the book will take, but also why focus on these individuals and and what you're hoping to achieve with the content? I am hoping to weave together the narratives of a handful of individuals, all of whom grew up during this time of opening and technological change, and use their stories to elucidate and give life to the bigger picture that's happening around them. And the reason why I wanted to focus on individuals is 
that most narratives about China and the Chinese internet today really fall under one of two categories. You know, the story of big China, like a China rising, kind of ripe for innovation, gold mine of shiny new gems for, for VCs to monetize. Or there's the story of bad China, you know, this authoritarian wasteland, big bad authorities oppressing their citizens in a kind of black mirror type setting. And to me, both narratives are very simplistic and monolithic and kind of suck the humanity out of it all. And the only way to complicate that narrative and to get at the humanity of it is to focus on the individual. I think I can only really get at the complexity and contradiction of what it means to live in China when I tell the story of, you know, a closeted cop who grew up at a time when homosexuality was criminalized and within a decade became the CEO of the largest gay dating app in the world. I think that's just a story that can only be really captured through the individual. As you write this book, you're calling the subjects, or not the subjects, but the different characters, uh, wall dancers. And so can you just help us understand that term a bit better? What does the term mean for you? And how do they uniquely fit that term? So this dynamic that I've been describing, right, this navigating between confrontation and compromise, trying to push for change within the system is so kind of embedded in the way that people survive in China that people have come up with all kinds of different metaphors to describe it. You know, I've heard things like a cat and mouse game or like towing the line. There's a term in Chinese called tabianqiu, uh, which means like playing edge ball, which is, you know, when, when in, in ping pong, you hit the ball just that it, so it skims the edge of the table, but doesn't cross the boundary. There's kind of like riding the tides, boundary spanning, all, all kinds of terms used to describe that dynamic. Um, and the one that I saw often and really just kind of stuck with me is this term that's used quite often, um, dancing in shackles or dancing in chains. Kind of, you know, it, it's, it's centered around this idea that there's so much capacity for and possibility for creativity and change but you can only dance when you are shackled. You know, you're bound to a certain set of constraints. And most notably, that is the Great Firewall and what it represents. And so as a kind of wordplay, I put those together, the firewall and dancing in shackles um, to describe the people who are doing that dancing on the Great Firewall, dancing around the Great Firewall. And those people are wall dancers. And so as you determine the stories that you want to tell uh, within your book, how do you ensure that you're capturing both just like diversity within location, but also within the individuals themselves? And yeah, just how are you thinking about the characters? Mm -hmm. Well, I think that a crucial element of the diversity that I want to include in the characters is that they all represent different sectors of Chinese society or different areas of Chinese society where I think that change is possible or there is a huge amount of space to dance. And so an area that I think is very interesting is, you know, the LGBT movement, um, you know, popular entertainment and specifically hip hop music. Um, the Chinese feminist movement. These are all areas that are very different 
in the goals that they're trying to achieve, but also have a ton of overlap. I definitely want to emphasize uh, geographical diversity. All of the characters that I look at come from very different parts of the country. I think an explicit reason behind this is that um, people tend to forget people within China and outside China tend to forget how plural and diverse the country is. You know, they forget that Sichuan, um, one of the the central provinces, is the size of France. Um, and you know, I, I learned that you know the hip the hip hop that you listen to in Chengdu is going to sound very different from the hip hop that you listen to in Harbin. In the same way that hip hop from Atlanta bears no resemblance to hip hop from Minnesota, right? And so, I think really emphasizing that that geographical diversity is also pretty important to me. And then I think one thing that I've noticed about all the characters is that they have all moved. There's some kind of physical movement from a rural area or a smaller city to an urban, a larger urban city like Beijing and Shanghai. I think that people also forget that the largest, one of the largest migrations in human history has taken place inside China and specifically this from the rural areas to the urban areas. And so movement is part of, a huge part of everyone's story. And I think with movement comes a kind of reshaping of the self, a kind of adaptability, a kind of pragmatism, a kind of creativity in each of the characters um, from one place to another. Um, and so that is something that I think is a characteristic that I find in all of these stories. And so in your application, you said that there is a sense both in China and outside of the country that the window of change in the system is closing. Can you expand on that? You know, why do you feel that sense of closure, but also what you hope your book will achieve towards addressing that? Yeah, I think to give some context into what I mean by there's a sense of the windows closing, once upon a time, I want to say that there is a sense the window was opening, particularly after the turn of the millennium when China first embraced the rise of the internet. You know, they joined the WTO, they hosted the first ever Olympic ceremony then in 2008. And the conventional wisdom at the time was that the internet would lead to greater openness and freedom and liberalization. And, you know, I think Bill Clinton very kind of famously proclaimed something like trying to control the internet in China was like nailing jello to the wall. But that didn't happen. And the internet did not open China to the world. Like fast forward to today, the government did find a way to control it and perhaps nail Jello to a wall. You know, it's set up as we talked about one of the most complex systems of censorship in the world. And the conventional wisdom is very much shifted. Like the internet does not equal freedom. Game over. The window is closed. Particularly now, it's a very tense time borders are being drawn everywhere, offline and online. But still, I think the, the assumption window open, window closed is simplistic. I think it's closing, but I think it overlooks the fact that 
there are still possibilities for change and that the internet still serves as a very powerful tool for people who are bent on advancing that social change. And so I want readers of the book to see from it that change is possible if we're not mindless, but deliberate about the way we engage with technology and the Chinese internet. And also I think what, what is particularly urgent is that, you know, the Chinese internet, what that means is becoming increasingly difficult to define, right? I, I think that any reader, regardless of who they are or where they live, will have to grapple with the same questions that my subjects are dealing with because, because it's going to affect their, their own life, be it, you know, whether or not a virus will show up at their door, you know, if they'll ever be able to watch a TikTok video again, or, you know, whether someone who's directing a Hollywood movie can get it screened in China, like, it will affect their life in some shape or form. And so those questions of what it means to creatively and strategically push for openness is a question that they will have to grapple in their own lives too. So in terms of process, I mean, you've written quite a few long-form magazine articles over the past several years. And so the, the book is a different opportunity, I'm sure, to write for both a different audience, but in a different form. So what have you noticed is, is the difference between the two forms, writing a long-form article versus now this book? And what are you most looking forward to in terms of the writing process for the book? Well, with writing a long-form article, you have one story, one individual, one issue, and there is very much this ability to kind of like immerse yourself in that one narrative and then just like step back out again and let it go. But with a book, you kind of have to follow, you know, four or five, six strands all at once. And there's no stepping out. You have to immerse yourself in these lives over the course of a long period of time. And so there's definitely kind of a level of stamina um, involved there that I think is just not the same with a long form piece. I think there is also a need to look for a structural arc and look for parallels in a much bigger scale and a bigger picture. You know, I think that one of the biggest challenges with writing about China is trying to stitch together, you know, both what I call both flesh and bone, right? Both the kind of human and the structural and big picture. And what I'm very excited about with this book is I can take, you know, I can now step back and look at some of the past writing that I've done, you know, look at uh, a young musician who is living in Gansu and discovers Lil Wayne on the internet for the first time um, and moves to Chengdu to become a rap star, you know, very particular story, step back. And then look at another story that I've written about a boy coming to terms with sexuality through a gay internet novel and moves the tangent to find his community. I can, I can take these two stories and look for parallels and start thinking about, okay, like what do their narratives tell us about what it means to live in China today? And I think that is something that can only be accomplished on book length scale. This has been a very challenging year for so many of us and for everyone around the world. And the world today is very different from the world that it was when you first applied to the fellowship on February 2nd. So I'm curious to hear from you. What gives you hope right now when you look at the future and, and look at the rest of this year? 
Wow. That's a, that's a hard question. Um, what gives me hope? Younger people, to be honest. People who have not grown up thinking that a system is unmalleable and unchangeable. And so I think I, you know, I too have a certain set of biases. I think that things need to be the way they are. But I have a little sister who is 14 and she can call out the status quo quite easily in ways that I can't because it's so ingrained in how I think and navigate the world. And so young people. And so my final question, and one that I know most writers do not love to answer, but where do you hope to be with your project a year from now? Oh, <laughs> well, as you said, there's so much uncertainty in the world that I, I can't, I, I have a hard time projecting one month into the future, let alone a year. But if I had to answer that question, I would say I want to have really engaged with and gotten to know the stories of my subjects on a very intimate level. And I wanted to have all of the stories laid out and woven together. Thank you for listening to this interview. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit newamerica.org fellows to access my other interviews with the class of 2021.